Now let's continue the conversation with fear in part two. Not saying that, you know, necessarily constant exposure to something like that is, if you're always failing, is good for everybody, but I think it helped me with a lot of stuff. Did you ever try out for anything, like with baseball or whatever, that you thought you probably weren't going to make it, or did you always pretty much know you were? Um, Made baseball. Played baseball third grade all the way through senior year of high school. The... I remember in middle school trying out for the basketball team, and I was really short. I was one of the later ones that started growing, so I was much shorter than most of my peers and did not make it. Um, I don't remember what grade that was, fifth or sixth grade, which didn't discourage me from even ever doing it again. I mean, I was let down, but not dramatically. I enjoyed playing basketball. Me and all my friends, that's probably the thing we played the most. But... um it, it was just like a, oh, another one of those. I, I would say, to answer your question in a different vein, wh- which I'm going to rephrase your question, is what it fears did I experience as a child, whether it be trying out or other. And I had for a handful of years in the elementary age, a incredible separation anxiety from my parents. Did you ever have anything like that or similar to that? Well... Probably similar. I grew up in a broken home, so it wasn't, it wouldn't have been the same. I didn't have ex- separation anxiety except in kindergarten. I did not want, like, my, my granddad took me to school. I did not want him to leave in kindergarten, but that went away after, like, a day or two. I was but really never you afraid. remember that? Yeah, and I remember a few times spending the night at people's house. That it was, if it was drastically different from ours, like if their ways seemed strange to me, I'd want to go home. But I wasn't one of those people who did that often, like maybe once or twice in my life. So I never really had separation anxiety like that, necessarily. I always kind of wanted to run off and do my own thing, actually. Like I never wanted to be with my parents in the store and stuff like that. I could not have done that then. I, I can remember distinctly probably around second grade. I could be totally wrong about this because I don't have any other frame of reference in this memory that would draw back an age. But I remember being in a uh, department store where like a JCPenney kind of scenario where it would, my dad had his own business. So he always would have been at work. So it was me and my mom and my sister. And it, I remember this being the beginning of if not the probably the very first thing that caused separation anxiety for me. And that was, I remember having that feeling at the beginning of the day of ho-hum, like you said, I'll just go off and do my own thing and not really worrying about anything in terms of separation. And I, you know, at that height that you are at that age, physically, you can't see everything because you're short and all you're seeing on adults is a lot of times is legs until you look up. And I remember being in and around clothes racks with my mom and my sister. And then I ran into a lady who I thought was my mom because I hadn't looked up yet and said something to her. And I don't remember. I said, what is that? She said, oh, this is something I'm getting for my son. And I'm like, oh, and I look up and (laughs) it's not my mom. And I kind of freak. And I don't know. She could have been three feet or 30 feet away. But in a, as a short person in a clothing store where there's just racks and racks of clothes and it's just like being in a hedge, you can't see anything but clothes other than looking at the ground. And I don't know if I was separated for five seconds or five minutes, but that like yeah. startled me. Well, that, that did happen to me in a grocery store one time. I remember 
I got separated from my dad and I remember crying and being all upset and they later, I mean, I found my dad. It probably was only a few minutes to help me find him, but right. like, <clears throat> I guess when I, that happened, I guess a couple times, but not, it was that I would only have been scared if it was unexpected, but I'll let you continue. That carried on into several other occurrences to the point that our, I think my entire second grade year and that's why I say this must have been about that time frame because I don't remember in kindergarten or first grade having this. My parents would have to voice otherwise because I can remember parts of all of my existence back to a early age. And I remember specifically having the chronic negative memory in second grade of every day of school would drop off. My dad would drop me off and I did not want to go through. I would just throw a crying. I mean, it was like I was going to a concentration camp was the emotions that I was experiencing, even what though I, I don't do? do I now? What were you going to go do? Like taking you to school? What yeah. Was it I was being dropped off in second grade huh. in okay. the mornings. And, and it was just like, I'm going to be executed. And <laughs> I, I mean, I was constantly, I, I can still hear their words. Like I'll be here to pick you up at this time and so forth and so on. And I heard all those things, but I couldn't process that. I, I don't, I, Whatever that young brain development of separation is, I had that in the most extreme case. I don't remember, and I think it lasted that whole year, and it manifests itself in other ways outside of that years after that. But I think I got over it enough for school. I don't remember that being an issue at any of the grades going huh. forward. But it's I remember strange time to start at second grade. Versus... I know. I don't, I don't know. Again, it may have gone back to that shopping experience or there's other yeah. things I don't remember, but even Something going to like, um, you know, the college football games that my parents had the season tickets to, which was, you know, a hundred thousand people or thereabouts. So major crowd. And we always had the same tickets. So it was always part of the same routine, but yeah, you're talking a giant crowd of people moving really fast that it's easy to get separated if you aren't really paying attention or glued yeah. to your parents, because people don't care about kids. They're just running over them because they're just all trying to get to where they're going in life, especially at a ball game. And some of them were half inebriated. So that was just part of the whole experience. And then you go to the bathroom and, you know, it was the, my mom and dad's and me and my sister. So my mom and my sister always went to the bathroom. And of course I went with my dad, but anytime there was any kind of variation to that, I was always like petrified that I was going to be left behind. I don't know why I'd never been left behind by my parents at any point in my memory, but I had that terrible fear of just being left alone and oh. just excluded from my existence at, uh, I don't know where that comes from. I, I, I can remember those memories from second grade, but I don't know what that's about or where that comes from, but I, I don't know, have it now. Um, right. but I can still remember that very palpable it, that, uh, I can just taste the fear from those situations and there was no way of talking yourself out of that. So to try to talk a kid out of that, that's experiencing that now, I'll just tell anybody <laughs> that that's useless. Be reassuring for sure. But don't think you're going to like logic them out of this. That's just not happening. If you oh, yeah. have this, it's just there. And I don't well, the, know any way out of it outside of repetition and growth. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it's in the, people get frustrated, but it's in the definition of it. I mean, irrational, like logic doesn't, they know a lot of times it's, it's unfounded. Um, I wonder what that's like in generally stems from like my, 
I could not wait to get away. Like even as a kid, I wanted to go play by myself. I wanted more freedom. Like I, I had, I wouldn't say I had strict upbringing, but I wasn't allowed to go do a lot of stuff. Like I could only go so far from the house. Like I couldn't forever. I couldn't even ride my bike off of our property, which was only like an acre or so. And I, I finally got to do that. And I still never was allowed to ride it down to the lake, which wasn't too far away. Did it anyway. But I wasn't supposed to. And I wonder if it stems from not being able to. It made me want to do it because I couldn't. Because all my other friends were allowed to do something. And I wonder if, if did you have all the freedom like to roam around? And oh, yeah. Stuff? I had like, a neighborhood that the loop and the circle of the neighborhood I lived on, I think, was a mile circle. So picture that, you know, and it was, you know wooded lots and this, that, and the other. So everybody probably had half acre to three acres, depending on the way your plot was set up. And that was, and then there were probably two or three other connections to the neighborhood. So that it was like several, a subdivision, I guess is what we would call it. And I had friends that lived all over that. So I might go to a friend's house that was, I don't know, because kids' mind is so different. In my mind's eye, I felt like it was 10 miles away, but in all reality, it's probably only like four miles away. I don't know. I have to go back and relive some of those things. But the last time I went by the house I grew up in, it was, and that was in the last couple of years, it was really strange because, not that it was all different and everything, but everything seemed different, like Yes, there was changes in, in, in to the house and all the other houses, but the, the house proximity to the road, which that's not going to change, and the road hasn't changed, it felt like it was so much further away as a child, and the lot size that where my parents had seemed so vast, and I can only associate that I was just a small person, so, so therefore... What age did you move away seem, from that? Oh, college. Like, freshman oh, year in college. That's crazy. Yeah, I graduated high school and would have came home to that house. Hmm. So I had quite a few years of experience there, none of which, all, they weren't all at the tiny age, so to speak. Probably but most I, of your memories, though, of the house were when you were smaller. And like they say, you don't really remember the original memory. You remember the last time you remembered it. So it's became something else in your mind. I'm the same way, though, with stuff, but continue. I, I, I wonder you know, how everybody else would compare that just in terms of your space and distance and how oh, that sure. is relevant. Is it always can... in the same fashion? Like we always remember things bigger and longer apart than they were, or is it just that we remember misjudgments in distance and space and it's equal to either direction? I would think I've... it's probably the way I experienced it. I have never heard of anyone and I have never experienced anyone saying that it was larger than they remembered. I had experience with this um, recently. I had to travel back down to Atlanta um, for to go to a funeral and with my mom, we went and um, visited some of the places, she, the way, the really the one place she lived when I was a child. Um, it was in a, a, a townhome complex, like not really apartments were actually, you know, townhouses. Mm-hmm. And I remember as a kid, the neighborhood seemed so big. Um, I mean, the field, like the, in the courtyards or what I can see, like we used them to play baseball with. They were so big to us when we were right. kids. And this riding from her house all the way down to the clubhouse where the pool was or her condo down to where the pool was and riding all around that neighborhood seemed like such like long distances to ride a bike. And when we rode around, we went down there in the car and it just seems so tiny now compared to what I remember. Um, and I'd say we moved, she moved away from there 
probably when I was 11 or 12, but we had revisited it, you know, just to go back down and see it. But everything seems so close together and smaller. And the, what I remember being huge fields riding my bike through, like, like I remember them being like, I was going to go see it and it was going to be at least a hundred yards, maybe 200 yards. Um, this big open field was really probably 30 yards. <laughs> like it was that much smaller than what I remember it being. And the distance from the clubhouse back to the condo where she lived, I thought that was going to be uh, the same, maybe 200, 300 yards. And it was really just like 50. Like it wasn't far at all. Maybe, you know what I mean? Like it was twice as in my mind, two and three times further and larger than I remember it being. You know, I didn't get to go inside any of these places because then now they've turned into dilapidated. Like it's really sad to see. Um, and I didn't know anybody that lived there, so I couldn't have gone inside, but it would have been interesting to see the inside of the house as well. I did go to a relative's house um, after the funeral that I hadn't been in in at least a decade. Um, and it didn't seem all that different, which I thought was strange. Maybe it's because I had spent time there as an older um, adolescent. Um, mm -hmm. But it seemed the same as I remembered it. Like it hadn't changed a whole lot at all other than the trees and stuff had gotten a lot bigger. And that made their yard seem smaller, but like it wasn't anything insane. But stuff that I haven't been to and seen in years and years and years definitely seems smaller than what it did um, in my mind anyway, for sure experiences and how you remember them. I, I will plug a podcast. It's called Heavyweight by Gimlet Media, particularly episode 24. I don't think I'll listen to any of the other episodes, but I was recommended that particular episode um, by a friend of mine to listen to because, and I'll just read you the quick description of that particular episode. It says, when he was only 10 years old, Jonathan Marshall was sent on a 240-mile bicycle trip, three days across two states. With no adult supervision. How old was he? Ten. Dang. Okay. With no adult supervision. Forty-five years later, Jonathan can't stop thinking about the trip or the little boys uh, he made it with. And this goes on to uh, interview this guy and talk about that trip and talk about his life. And then I don't want to spoil all of it, but it, there's continued conversation about that particular thing. There's a lot of thoughts that I had after listening to that. And one is I wish that I could do that for my son. Not that exact thing. I, right. I'm, I am, I consider myself kind of opposite of this whole coddling America, but I'm about to put a stake in the ground here and say, uh, I have an 11 year old, so it fits the same motif. I'm not sending him on a two state journey, a oh, 240 wait. mile journey. Yeah. Things are different now, though, too, and I'm sure everyone uses that excuse, but that would be highly interesting. It's almost like a modern-day, what's that movie, uh, Stand By Me, like a real version of it, like right. an actual true story version, which, I don't know, Stand By Me wasn't a Stephen story. King, Steven Spielberg? Yes, or it's Stephen King, King uh, novella, yeah. That's what and um, it, was a, it was an interesting conversation to listen to, just for, it took me back, thinking about all the adventures I have with my friends, and... Um, but just to think it, it reminded me of when we were talking about this distant space and time and how things are big or small, I would like to talk to these guys and just see how did 240 miles feel and how does it feel now? And one of the guys, I don't know if it was the main one or who, but it seemed funny at how many people, I want to say there was six people involved. Maybe it was four, but I want to say at least one of them, it seemed inconsequential later in life. Whereas one of the group. It was something that was talked about 
for the rest of their life. Yeah. And, and then they would even say that it shaped part of who or what their life was. And I can only imagine if you were a 10 year old having, I mean, I had adventures on my bike, uh, back to your question and my size of my neighborhood. And, and I had a, a neighbor that was detached from the neighborhood. There was a large expanse of woods, probably not as large as I remember. And then they, and their family had a farm and I had trails cut through the woods that, that went to this family's farm and my family knew that family. So it was, you know, fine for me to be there with him all day long. And we, we would go from sun up to sundown in the summer and spend time riding bikes, riding four wheelers and doing all these things. And I, you know, I felt like we went way away from the house and we we're just running and there was no cell phone. There was no tether of any kind. We might be told to check in at a certain point of the day, but I was just living by faith as a parent. I assume at that time, but right. Yeah. I don't want to get into this sort of, it's a different place in a different time because the stats in the uh, Coddling of America book will tell you that it's not as different as you think. Yes, right. human trafficking is real and that's a terrible thing and child abduction is real, but it's not to the occurrence that it should be driving our behavior. So I don't necessarily want to open up that can, but I, I thought that was, uh, that's an interesting podcast if anyone has to check out that heavyweight version 20, or How many days episode 24. Doing it? I think it took three days. Oh God, that's a long distance in three days. Yeah. I mean, Must this is the, the dad of the main guy, like booked the hotel rooms for them. This is just, just something that would be considered child abuse today. Neglect that for sure. Yeah. Right. That it, it was, it's a, I don't know, super interesting journey. Three days, 240 miles. You, do you want to take a three day, 240 mile trip right now? Like, like as an adult? Yeah, let's go. <laughs> let's go. No. 80 miles a day on a bicycle. Mm-mm. Maybe on a motorcycle. There you go. So you're asking me if I'd ever tried out for anything. And we kind of got, I, I got lost in basketball, baseball, and then to my second grade detachment fears. And that runs into a whole other thing about what are my fears then and now. Um, I don't have that same fear now. I have that memory. Um, I'd say the fears that I've had my entire life would be heights. And I don't know why that is. Uh, every bit of research I've done, unless there's something new that I've dismissed and everything I've ever had in class, fear is always a taught thing. Like we're not born with these things, which I'm going to say I disagree with based on this new idea of what epigenetics is and things like that. But because um, I don't remember ever being fearless when it comes to heights. Maybe I was and it was just such an early memory. I don't have it and I fell or something happened. I don't know. But I remember having that. And by to be more explicit. If I'm standing up someplace that's say more than 20 feet off the ground, I'm going to have a tingling in my feet and or body and hands may be a little sweaty and it can just go on from there. But that's kind of a general basis as to how I'm going to feel. Now I have ridden many roller coasters and they all have heights involved. And the way I explain this to people is I think I just get a better ride out of it than everybody else who's not afraid of heights because I definitely get a huge adrenaline rush out of these things. Yeah. You afraid of heights? <clears throat> I love heights. Like, I've always liked them as a kid. I couldn't wait. I want to go to the top of every building I see. I w- would love to live on the side of a cliff, except I wouldn't because I'd be afraid the cliff was going to, like, give way at any time and that would be scared all the time. Um, however, I, yeah, however, well, I don't know. I mean, you see all these landslides. I don't know if you can justify it. 
um when i watch these people like on youtube do these um radio tower climbs where they have to climb Ooh, like a base jumping tower and no, it's like to change a light bulb oh yeah like, so it's just them attached like my feet tingle something fierce i keep watching it but i'm just like oh my god how do they do that and i watch these idiots jump from building to building like some of these people have died these extreme youtubers and instagrammers like i couldn't do that like i could not do something unsafe like as far as heights go but i love if i feel safe enough to do it going to heights like i always loved going up on the mountains and going to overlooks and climbing out past where you're supposed to and it's leaning over the rock and it's looking down and um, I love when I go to New York, going up the top of whatever building will let you go to the top of. I've been to almost the top of most of the touristy ones and just looking out. And I could spend all day just up there, just looking out. Now, I don't know if I could spend all day in an airplane. It's not the same to me. I don't know why, but I've always liked heights. I've never been scared of that. I'm not afraid of the dark, really. I'm not, I don't know. I'm trying to think of things that I've always been afraid claustrophobic? of. Claustrophobic? No, I'm not claustrophobic. You've been caving? Um, yeah, I've been in a few caves. I wouldn't do it now um, because of my large size. I would be afraid that I'm always the heaviest person in the group, and I'd always be afraid if something happened, they couldn't get me out. Um, I mean, I don't, you know, I don't weigh 400 pounds or anything, but everyone else is usually quite a bit smaller. So I always, I am a little afraid of that, but I'm not afraid of any animals or reptiles or spiders. I don't like spiders, but. You're not reckless, though. Oh, yeah, like, I do not like climbing under my house. Like, I almost want to put a bomb. They say not to do that, but I haven't been known to do it anyway. Um, so I don't like insects on me, but, like, I don't flip out. Like, what my would wife... you do? All right, let's walk mentally here. You, you've got a problem, and there's no way around it. You've got to crawl under your house. And I'm outside the hole, so I'm witnessing this. We're talking. And you're going, you're going, you're going, and you're at a place where you're looking up at what the problem is with the vent, the pipe, the ductwork, whatever. And on the face is some unknown insect, but you know it's alive because you can feel it moving. What are you, what are you feeling right now? Like I see it or it's on me. You can't see it. It's just falling on your face. Oh. Like you've got a light down there with you, but it, your, your light's not on it. So you don't know what it is. Well, here's the thing. And I'm not trying to say I'm Mr. Whatever. I somehow have learned how to not panic. Like I don't panic. So I have been in situations where something like that has happened. I would not like it. I would not freak out though, because I would be afraid. Like I would be scared. Fear would be going through me for sure. Um, but I would not like jerk all of a sudden and move. I would slowly move and bring my hand close to it and then smack it the heck off. This is what, what I would do. I would risk getting stung or whatever from it. I would not like it, though. But I wouldn't like, ah, start screaming and bank my head on the um, wood or whatever's under there. Like, I wouldn't freak out. I don't like it, though. Now, I'm not saying, like, if I saw a snake coming at me or a lion, I would just freeze and not move. I would do, you know, I, I would, I just, I don't panic. I don't find myself panicking very often in very many situations. Only time that. I came close to panicking and I can remember in the last 20 years was when there was a tornado right outside my home and I didn't know it was out there. And I just went outside and was like, what's up floating around in the air up there? It looks, I was like, oh, and then I all came to the realization that it was a tornado. I was so close. I couldn't tell that's what it was. Um, and all, I just wanted to run. Like I had that, uh, it kicked in a hundred percent fight or flight and I was going to run away. And I was like, no, what are you doing? You cannot run. And I ran back in the house and got in a, uh, 
got in a closet and dug down and screamed at my dogs and told them to get in there. They were going to die and they wouldn't get in there. So like, well, we all are on your own then. And of course, the tornado did not hit my house. It hit about four or five houses over um, a pathway. But that's the closest I've ever came to panicking was um, a tornado. Speaking of the the woman's funeral that I went to, she had a phobia of storms because she was in a tornado. I remember as a kid, if it started raining or thundering, she would drive 110 miles an hour on the back road in these 80s Ford Escorts that she always had. And like her behavior from her irrational fear of storms was way more dangerous than any storm ever would have been. Because how fast and unsafe she drove and freaked out. And like, and you know, it was, she couldn't help it. That's just how she was. Um, I loved her dearly, still do, or, you know, still did, obviously, but she had a fear of storms and she would panic and I saw it firsthand and maybe me being around people who had phobias and fears and I saw how irrational they were, maybe helped me not have them. Um, but I, I don't know, I'm trying to give any other situation when something might scare the crap out of me. Like you remember a scary moment as a child. So you've not mastered these things at this point. Like, can you, like, I can tell you a specific story after you share yours or I can go first while you're thinking. Yeah, go ahead. So I am, I would say kindergarten, first grade and did a lot of playing outside as everybody did in the seventies and eighties, it seemed. And me and my sister being just a year apart, uh, spent a lot of time together and we often played with the across the street neighbor who I believe was right at five years older than me. So not, at that age, not so far out of the realm that, you know, we were just too far apart. And we were in uh, their yard and there was a large drainage ditch that went through their property. And behind their house was this kind of a lake, a community lake. And it would be where like the rain runoff and everything from the neighborhood all ran into uh, that lake, would run through their property through this ditch. And in that ditch, was we, we were out walking in the yard one day near it. We weren't like right above where this happened, but fairly close. I would say 25 to 30 yards would be the best I could estimate from my memory. The uh, di- There was a five to six foot black snake crawling along in the ditch, nowhere right on top of us, but very alive, very long. And I could see this thing moving and it was actually moving away from us where, where we were. But I remember this is one of my most early memories of adrenaline because I remember turning around, going into her house where her dad was, and uh, he was a very tall man. And he, I mean, he was well over six feet tall, but it would have been huge, you know, in my mind's eye being such a small person at that time that I knew one, he, he would know what to do. He had guns and I've seen him shoot the guns and I ran inside with that you know, I felt like I ran like a hundred miles an hour and my mouth was really dry and I could not talk very clearly. I was talking so fast and I'm telling him, you got to get your gun. You got to get your gun. There's a, there's a big giant snake out here. You got to get your gun. And he said, all right, where's it at? You know, he seems to be in slow motion for what right. I think needs to happen. <laughs> and he gets ready to come outside and I notice he's not going to his gun cabinet and I'm thinking, no, 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 you got, you need to get your gun. This is a giant snake. And he grabs a mop handle and I'm thinking, oh my gosh, this is going to be so <laughs> terrible. What in the world is he going to do with a mop handle? And we go down there at a rate of speed. It's not fast enough for me because I remember thinking, we got to go. This thing is giant. It's going to get away. And it's still down there. And he goes over to it 
And I don't remember if it coiled up or it, but it stopped going away or he got in the middle of it's going away and he ends up killing it with a mop handle, just basically driving its head down into the ground. And that was the first day that one, that was the first time I'd ever seen anybody kill a snake in person. It was also the first time I'd ever known that snakes will move after they're dead or been removed from their head. And that just kind of permanently burned sort of an eeriness about snakes that, wow, this thing without arms and legs that scares all of us, it'll continue moving after it's dead. And that is just burned into my memory like it was yesterday. And I can just, I still remember how the adrenaline felt coursing through my body. I can remember how I was trying to talk so fast and say, we need help. This is what you need to do. And this is how you need to do it. And then he like did not obey me. And I'm thinking, are you crazy? <laughs> this mop handle is not going to do the job. But it was uh, a, a very vivid memory in my life. Do you have any yeah, vivid I, memories of anything scary? I'm sure I do. That aren't really coming to mind at the moment. I think of something ever. I had a um, snake incident. I've still never been scared of them. I'm still not. I stepped out of the truck. We had moved the truck into the uh, an old pickup truck into our yard. We were doing some um, brush cleaning or something. And everybody got out of the truck, and I stepped out, and stepmom yelled. She's like, snake, right at your foot. And I turned down, and sure enough, there was this little snake. I wasn't little. I mean, you know, I was a teenager or I was, you know, 12 or 13. And this snake was probably four or five feet long, it seemed like. And it was sitting there like in a defensive posture. You know, I didn't know what to do. Um, I just kind of stood there for a minute and I just took off running. It didn't bite me. Um, but that's a, that's the animal thing that I can remember. Uh, no, I mean, I'm sure there are times I'm not going to be remembered on the spot, but I'm sure there were times where I was, was scared of something and. Cause I remember being scared as a kid of, of stuff, but no, I don't remember ever feeling like in, in imminent peril or danger uh, other than that tornado incident, like being that scared. We used to go out on the lake a lot with my dad. Um, oh, I got a lake story. And we were, uh, we had a small little 17, maybe 15 foot pleasure boat, like a, it was an inboard outboard, a chaparral um, inboard outboards are boats that are not fishing boats, but they're not, they don't have outboard motors on them. But anyway, and it would always thunderstorm. Hmm. And I remember being terrified out there on the water that we were going to get struck by lightning, like all the time. Like it was going to thunderstorm and the rain would become pouring down. We had a little soft top on it, you know, but that didn't stop the water from coming in over the bow and um, lightning hitting here and there. And I thought, well, we're going to die. Lightning's going to hit the water and we're going to die. We're going to die. We're going to die from lightning strike or we're going to drown out here. Or the, I was never really afraid of drowning because I always thought I could swim 100 miles. Um, and maybe I still have too much of that lack of fear of drowning. Um, but I always thought we was going to get struck by lightning. And it never happened, but I remember being terrified of that when I was a kid. I, I'm i surprised that I forgot this memory, but I was reminded of this memory. Not within the last year or year and a half, I was at my parents' house. And um, going back to some earlier things we talked about, keeping things and hoarding things. I have lots of toys from my childhood because my parents keep a lot of things. And one of the things I had were some of my papers from school. And in a box I was going through, I think it was junior or maybe a sophomore English class. I'm not sure. Something in high school where I had to write a paper about something that really happened. And for whatever reason, I chose to write about this day on the lake. And I have been on or near water my entire existence, as far as I can remember, from 
being quite often at the uh, beach in Destin, Florida, to being on the lake, to uh, parents eventually when they uh, built their retirement home, so to speak, on the lake. So water has been a good part of my life, fishing, swimming, boating, or other. And we were out there, same kind of thing you said. I would say I was in that seven, eight, nine-year-old maybe range, and we're on this little runabout that my parents had, and it's kind of getting black. And we're best of my memory, and I could take you to the exact cove we ended up sheltering in right now, and I know where we put in. We were probably 40, maybe 30 minutes because, you know, travel by boat is just not like driving for sure. We were probably 30 to 40 minutes away from where the uh, boat trailer and all that were going to be. And we were trying to make it back. Well, then it turned into as the weather's coming in swiftly, sometimes as it will in the summertime, we're trying to make it to a bridge, a highway bridge. So at least we'd be sheltered to some degree from it. And it, it wasn't working out. I mean, the white caps were getting larger and it was getting to where it was like just a constant. My dad had to back out of the throttle so we weren't jumping out of the water. So going was very rough and very dangerous. So at this point, he decides to pull on a cove to get out of some of the extreme wind. Again, you're not going to be out of the rain and right. you're not you're going to be closer to trees now. And this thunder and lightning on the horizon. And I'm like, oh man, what in the world? What's what's going to happen if lightning strikes the boat, if it strikes a tree? And I, I was just real. I don't know how much of it I showed. I'm sure I probably showed it. My parents picked up on it, as you do with your kids. And the boat was filling with water just because it was a downpour. It was a summer downpour. Yeah. And what I didn't realize as a child, and maybe even some adults don't know, most part fiberglass boats for sure, you could probably fill all of them with water. And they may go under the surface of the water, but they're not going to go to the bottom. Now, I don't know what point that changes, whether you're talking center console, cabin cruiser. At some point, that's probably going to be kind of a hard thing. But your basic smaller boats, we've all probably seen those graphics of the uh, sawed up pieces of a bass boat and things. These things will float even if they're taken to pieces and all these things. And that's more or less the same case. And not to mention, we're not going to be there so long that there's that much rain. But there's water accumulating in the bottom. I take a drinking cup and start bailing out the boat. (laughs) <laughs> because I'm petrified that this is just going to be our end. And I, I remember just scooping, scooping, scooping to no avail because it's just a downpour. Right. And eventually it passes and enough weather clears up that we're able to resume our journey back. That all probably took 20 minutes. It felt like an hour and a half. <laughs> I don't know how long it really did take. Yeah. Yeah. And I don't know that my parents would even remember that to this day, because that's just another day in an adult life. But it was a very memorable thing to me that I wrote this paper about it. And then as I was reading my paper to myself, it like took me all the way back to that. And I remembered how I felt and how it looked and everything of that day. And it was a very frightening time. Yep. I had a few experiences like that in the rain, too. And then I mentioned you probably didn't understand you had a bilge pump that was probably going and probably had like it would be like 50 cups at once like just a lot of misunderstanding and uh one of the understandings that was accurate was i was pretty sure if we got hit by lightning there's no way around that and i would say that's probably accurate for a kid i don't know that you can live through a lightning strike there are cases where people have there's also permanent this those guys are medically interesting as all get out because there's a weird things that happen to these folks there's a Boy Scout camp up on the mountain somewhere in East Tennessee. Maybe it's near Chattanooga. I'm not sure. 
uh, there have been <clears throat> people get struck by lightning at this camp more than once. I remember always being scared if I ever went up there. I'd be like, I don't want to go camp there. I get struck by lightning. Yeah, there. You ever seen lightning strike close? Yes. I saw it within about, couldn't have been more than 50 feet away. I was looking out my window in a storm. I used to love watching storms. You know, watching a tree, I was looking at the tree as lightning hit it. It was the craziest thing ever. I saw a boom and it didn't tear the tree down. It was a giant oak tree. It bark went flying everywhere and you can see the line say, down to the tree. Did it, did it look like a bomb went off? Yeah, like bark just went everywhere and the, down the line. The tree didn't explode, so it must have been a minor strike. But there was a line down it where the bark flew off. And I think it might have smoked for a second and then went out because it wasn't a downpour. Uh, but I'll still remember that. And I've seen a few lightning strikes close, too. I've never never seen anything crazy other than that hitting that tree. I had I was scared of that tree in my front yard hit. And it ran off of it into the lines and everything because I think we lost a television and a laptop, if I remember right. You ever been on a bad flight? That's probably in my, in my, <coughs> excuse me, in my recent adult life, let's say in the last five years, that's probably the only time I've ever felt like possibly could die was we was on a flight from either Chicago or New York back into uh, Nashville and it was storming and it, it's the worst flight I've ever been on. Like I thought that um we were going to die like it felt like the plane was free fall forever it would jerk to the Ooh. side all of a sudden mm -hmm. like it was like i was surprised and kind of angry that they were flying and they didn't just go up and divert like it's like why would you fly in something like this like it had to be and i'm sure it's not because you know i'm not a pilot but i mean planes do crash and you know pilots do make error but it had to be the um it couldn't have been too far away from the limits of that aircraft. Like how that's how serious it was to me. And I was angry that they were flying. Like, you know, we can have a delayed landing. Like, you know, it's not worth dying. Like, can you not divert around or something like, and it was scary. We'd be in free fall. I remember people were screaming on the plane, like scared. And, you know, it just got, and it got worse and worse and worse. And I remember landing at BNA, um, which is Nashville. And everybody started clapping when we, you know, got down. And still, some people were still, uh, upset by it like they were just kind of quiet and I can you know. imagine that being your first flight oh god you'd be ruined the rest of your life thank i mean i am pretty scared of flying but i have done it one two three different trips so that would be six flights because they're in the back um so when i say that here that it does not stop me just know that it is something that affects me Right. But thankfully, all of those have been without anything other than just a little bit of bumpy stuff. No right. free fall experience because that might ruin it for me. That's pretty common. I have to say the free fall, you, that just happens sometime. I know. But this was an extreme case of that. But my Go ahead. feeling and, and way of, of experiencing that are so extreme, I think I would probably avoid it forever. Yeah, well, because I, I can only imagine that it's a, it's a terrible feeling for you, but for me, it's like that times lots of zeros on the end. Yeah, I'm not that scared of it, but that is something that's one of the mo more uneasy things I do in modern life is get on an airplane because I only fly Southwest because I'm a cheapo and Southwest doesn't go there. We don't go there because <laughs> <laughs> I think flight is extremely expensive, and so you know I think Southwest just does it right. And this was a Southwest flight. Um. Something else I was going to say about airplanes was I had another experience, but I don't remember what it was now. Oh, I remember seeing that movie as a kid where lightning hit the airplane, 
Mm-hmm. And I thought it was like a monster on the wing or something. And Is that the kid, Twilight Zone? About that. Yeah, probably. I still can that's remember. That's the uh, gremlin that. that's out ripping the plane apart and the guy's yeah. trying to. I can't remember the name, but it's a classic <laughs> Twilight Zone episode. Yep. And that's, that's that guy's fear. Uh, I mean, he might even had a fear of flying on top of that, but he's literally watching the plane be ripped to pieces and cannot convey that message to anyone that this reminds me of. My scariest nightmare that has reoccurred a handful of times in my life. And it's very similar to that in the fact that I was mute. Oh, yeah, you can't speak? Nope, not a sound. Mm. And as a child... I think child, that has some physiological stuff to do with like the fact that you're asleep. Could be. So you can't manifest it. Well, and I think it still... It, I think it has rooted itself in my head that my inability to help someone or at least to express someone the danger or potential danger would haunt me to this day. I think that's kind of one of the reasons why I do what I do. And by that, I mean, uh, there's this thing happening at work in weather in life. What do you do? Well, some people do nothing. I am examining it going, is there something I can do? And if so, what is it? I find myself being in the minority, at least for sure in our work environment, because I I cannot count how many times that I have seen based on history of a repeated situation, whatever. Hey, if we do this or this, or if this is being remodeled or if this, this, and this, this is what's going to happen. And this is what resources we're going to need to get through this. Yeah. Well, we'll deal with it is pretty much always how I have been handled by upper people at work. People are that way. Yes. And it's, I just feel like, I have used this uh, analogy to explain this with work situations and different things. I see people happen in other people's marriages or at church or whatever. I'm standing on the church, a church, excuse me. I'm standing on the hospital in this town, which is close to a major intersection of the, of the major thoroughfare of this town. And I'm watching a school bus full of kids flying towards an intersection where some bad stuff's about to happen and I'm screaming at the top of my lungs and no one can hear me. Yeah. I just feel that way. And it, it, maybe that all goes back to that early nightmare. And that was where I was walking along a field or playing as we would as young people. And I came across this little, uh, outcrop of dirt, kind of a, like, it would look kind of like a, uh, or just a rise in the grass and the dirt. Uh, where the top of it was covered with grass, but the edge was kind of like, you know, the dirt was where something had pushed it up. I don't know what you'd call that, but it's just like I can take you to a place like that on uh, my dad's farm now. And out of that dirt, I would see like the edge of some bones. And upon further looking, this was a human skeleton. Frightened me. And, and every time in the dream, it's the same thing. I discover human remains and I run until I get to, to humans and they're all at a picnic or a party or something and no one can hear me. And I'm trying to tell them someone's dead, someone's died, something, you know, nothing. I get no response from everybody. And that's just been the same for 40 something years. Do you have that one still now today? I have had that exact one as a grown person. It's not been as often. Um, and You'll I think have it now. Uh, I've had it now, but yeah, probably will tonight. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I'll have some pepperoni before I go to bed just to make it even more animated. <laughs> that does do the trick. 
But um, I, I don't know what that stems from, and maybe somebody could tell me, but um, that inability to express danger and things, not even of my own. I mean, maybe I'm including myself like there's a killer on the loose. I need to be safe, too. But the fact that I want to warn everyone else about this thing and the ignorance that's going on with that, it just it bothers me, makes me angry at times. Yep, I get I get angry, too, at people's lack of preparedness, especially at work. Like We have these areas that are painted like you are not supposed to put stuff there because that's the emergency exit always covered up always you can't get out nobody gives a flip but me and the emergency lights don't work at my place of (laughs) occupation so when the power goes out and it's dark they only come on in certain areas and one of those areas that they do not work is the restroom because it's oh, happened more than I've once. been in there before when those I luckily ours worked, but it's a pretty dark place with no windows. Yeah, it's it's real dark, and it took me a second to remember that I had my phone with me. Uh, <laughs> I was trying to like feel my way out, you know, and I was like, oh, this is gross. I don't Not a place to touch. Yeah, yeah. I was like, oh yeah, I have my phone. Luckily, the water and everything still worked. But anyway, that was always weird as a kid. I always thought it was always strange when the power was out, the phone still worked. Uh, my dad always tried to tell me it was because. Uh, the phone lines were lower down on the pole, and I don't know. I was like, I don't know why that matters, but okay. <laughs> Not that the fact there's a small because, amount of current that's actually going yeah, through it, the phone lines. Yeah, and it, like usually when the power goes out in a storm, it's because a, a um, thing is blown. What are those things called? Transformer. Transformer, yeah, that's blown, and so it's cut the circuit, whereas phones don't really have those. And Right. I mean, I understand it now as an adult. Of course, now people are like, wait, what? Y'all mm-hmm. have phone wires? Mm-hmm. What's a dial tone? Yeah. I don't really have any big fears other than those, though. Like now, like, uh, I don't know. I don't really Fear have of any... failure? Yeah, performance anxiety. I mean, I guess the, the biggest fear is people not understanding situations, maybe. Um, not a huge, like, fear of failing necessarily now. I did in college. Like, I remember going in before a test, and I don't mean to offend anyone or anything, but I remember thinking, well, I mean, if worse comes to it, I mean, I could always get a job at McDonald's. Because I always thought, like, I fell out of school, even though I was in the top probably 2% as far as GPA went. But I always felt like it wasn't ever enough. Until it was enough. And then, once it was enough, I was like, eh, C's all you need. Do you um, have any fears of or related to inadequacy? Uh, not really. Um, sometimes I, I am, I fear, um, I think I know enough to know that I don't know everything. And since I'm in that percentage, I'm always afraid I'm going to miss something because it's impossible for anybody to know anything, but I feel like I'm always should know it. And I should, I should know everything and be able to know every possible scenario and I should be like Dr. House and be able to figure it all out and sometimes I'm afraid I've missed something that's obvious um, and it's going to maybe cause someone harm but in reality it's it's knock on wood never happened and most likely probably won't happen Um, but that's probably the only thing I ever fear because I know enough to know that I don't know enough like and no one really could and some people just don't care they just go out and do it they just go out and get it done let's just do as many immunizations as we can let's just do it do 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 oh it's fine it's fine it's fine it's fine oh you can take that with that it's fine whereas me i'm kind of like uh well theoretically blah 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 and it's like but in reality those things probably will never happen it's always sometimes fear 
sometimes telling somebody when I know something is okay, that maybe there's a small chance that it's not okay. And, but like I say, I try to live by exception. Like I always mention the exception and then say, most likely it's not going to happen. That's probably the only thing I'm ever worried about. Yeah. I don't think, I don't, I wouldn't say I live in fear, but I'm motivated by it daily. So if that means I'm living with it because I have daily motivation from it, I guess I'm feeling myself. Um, I do have a fear maybe um, professions, like I sometimes fear the professions can collapse and then what would you do afterwards? But at the same time, worrying about something all the time isn't going to I think that's it. universal. I uh, mean, other than trying to be prepared and having savings and, you know, do the best that you can, which I always have to tell myself, you're in a good spot, you've saved, you have all these parachutes, although it would ruin your retirement plans if something like that bad were to happen. But, you know, all these people worry about the economy crashing and, you know, I lived through it. I still, it'll, I was telling a friend of mine the other day, um, the economy crash of 08 will live with me the rest of my life, like forever. It's affected me. And like, well, what do you mean? It's like, well, I bought a home right before mm. the crash. And now here we are 10, 11 years, 12 years removed. And it's worth more than what I paid for it, but only a little bit. And whereas if that wouldn't have happened, you know, or if I would have bought during the huge recession, like the value of the home, being able to resell it and have that part of the nest egg, like that crash will always be with me, but you can't sit there and just be afraid that it's going to happen again because you can't really control it. So just don't, I just try not to try not to worry about it. One thing that, and this is kind of half joking, I do live in fear constantly. One of my hobbies, as you know, is getting out on two wheels. And I mean the kind with a motorcycle or with an engine, which is a motorcycle. I do constantly when I'm riding that thing, if I'm in traffic, I'm constantly worried someone's going to run me over because they actively want to. Hey, even <laughs> or at least that's match. how it feels. <laughs> the, this is a <coughs> far more distracted world than ever. Nope. I mean, it's it to the point that the lawmakers had to make it a law where you cannot have your phone in your hand as a driver in this state, period. People still do it. <clears throat> drives yep. me crazy. My friends do it. I'm the only person I know um, in my group of friends that uses a cradle, like that has their phone up on a cradle where you like, I can just glance at it if I'm using it for GPS or whatever in my car. Everybody I know tries now that it's a law, they put it down their lap and try to hide it while they're like playing on it. It's like, that's even worse. That's even worse than having it where people can see it. Anyway, that's the fear I have of that. Uh, as you get to know people and your age, you find out where you are, your spectrum changes, meaning your, I don't know, number of people you can compare yourself to just grows and grows, I would think, for the most people. And what I have learned is that, yes, I have experiences and memories of fear, and some were paralytic or felt to be that way at a time. I have made it to adulthood, and I don't consider myself running by fear. Some There are plenty of people within the circles and circles of friends that I had that would consider my hobbies and or side jobs to be one of which they would be fearful. Yeah. So to some people's eyes, I do what some people would be afraid of, riding a bicycle. And I don't mean the act of doing that, but just being around other cars, like you're saying with the motorcycle mm -hmm. or running, which often involves being on roads as well. And um, those fears are valid to a degree. Because I have lost a very close personal friend to an accident involving a car and, and, and him on his bicycle. So it's real. And by that, we all knew that th these things happened, but it was like very real in our in our circles. But 
you cannot live your life constantly afraid to the point of being inwardly drawn and not getting out physically or emotionally. Right. And maybe people who don't have any regard to that are dangerous in some people's eyes. I look at some of people I know that are, well, this, that, and the other about the weather that day, better not. Or this, that, and the other of, I don't, I wouldn't do that. Or this, that, and the other of alternative way of looking at something I do. It's like, wow, is your stomach just a wreck because you're always afraid for yourself or someone else? Because I feel like some people, that's the way their day-to-day life is. And and you see that through Facebook personas is there is a fear culture and it goes through politics and world existence. It's just like, all right, there are things that are real and there are threats that are real in the world and in our country. But what are they doing? Not the likely of them happening or not, because I don't want to get into this. Oh, it's not likely it happens. So don't be afraid of it because things do change. Things do happen. And, but but what's the reality that it changes your existence? It's not something you like, but is it something to really merit the amount of fear you're talking about? That's the part that I think it uh, more energy is given to some of these things and is correct. Not the likelihood it happens or not, because look at all these changes. Yeah, I got that. But this does not mean you won't be allowed to go to work. It does not mean we're going to separate you from your family and loved ones. It just changes this or that. And uh, man, it is... I don't know. It kind of just drives me bonkers to, to hear the level of what I see as fear in people. It's like, okay, I get it. But wow, that is to the extreme. Uh, there's a front coming in. We better not meet for lunch. Really? Oh, yeah, gosh. I, I don't know about that. <clears throat> I have close family members who are that way. Like, if the weather's bad, they don't want to get out. Like, it's like, come on. The weather was raining last night and uh, didn't want to go eat dinner, have pizza somewhere. It's like, really? It's just raining. I mean, but yeah, it's other, but there's, there's other examples too, for sure. It's, I mean, if there's so a scared. tornado on the ground and, and the area that would be the viewing area to you and I, I would not think it would be wise for me to drive towards that, but to get right. up and drive that day. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, should I be out flying a kite that day? Probably not. Uh, one of the, you know, running being something I mentioned earlier, I love to do. Um, there's one of my favorite places to run is a trail that's around nine miles long in a loop. And it's a lot of wooded area, almost entirely wooded area, lots of huge trees. I will not run out there if it's going to be really windy because I've ran out there for years now and I see treetops down all the time. And I don't want to die from a treetop taking me out when I could have just waited and gone another time that same day or just not gone that day. Now, that doesn't mean I'm never going to go out there because, oh, what if a storm comes up while I'm out there? No, that that's the stuff I'm talking about, but I'm not that way because I've been out there before when storms have come up and it is frightening to see big trees bend like that and hear all the pops and snaps. And I've watched literally treetops snap out of trees within 50 yards of me. It's like, yep. ooh, if you were right it there, was- it's over. It won't stop you, though, from doing it on an average day. No, 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 not at all. I hear the same thing from people. Like, the most dangerous things I do besides... Motorcycle. um, Besides ride in a car every day to work is the motorcycle and kayak fishing. 
Um, I do move on. I do kayak a lot on some. Not, I wouldn't say swift moving rivers, but the rivers, there's some danger to it. And everybody I know is like, oh, be careful out there. People drowned all the time. And they do. And it does happen. But people take unnecessary risks. So, I mean, I'm going to get out there. You I are not the an water. unnecessary risk taker. That's uh, correct. You have actually, you've not come across to me to be a, a fright person about that because you go all the time. But the amount of detail you would talk to me about, go this way and that way, or if you're doing this and doing that, you do this and you do that. Not that I would approach any of this carelessly, but speak to the volume of you respect whatever those water situations yeah, are. For sure. And like people die when they don't, when they don't have a respect for something. And um, I mean, we've gotten in a sticky situation or two kayaking, and it's mostly been other people. I've only had a few situations where it, I was scared, but. You know, I got out of all of it because, like I say, I don't panic. I try not to. Um, but you just have to, you know, you just you, you can't live. Like, I will never give up um, kayaking because people drowned on it. I mean, I don't want to drown and do it. I, I just wouldn't go when you shouldn't go. Like, I wouldn't go when the water's overflowing. Right and you now. Get, yeah, and you get snagged. Now, that would be really fun. If I was really athletic and in 100% shape and I had a whitewater boat, I probably would do it. But I'm not going to take my 13-foot fishing kayak down white water, as fun as it may be for a minute, because there's things you can't see and that you don't know are there. And Anyway, but that's what people imagine. They imagine I'm going down the Hawassi on, on my you know, 13-foot fishing kayak. And for those who don't know what the Hawassi is, it's a, it's a river in East Tennessee that was used for the Olympics, the 96 Games, the whitewater part Okoy. of the Olympics. Yeah. Or the Okoy, that too. Yeah, either one of them. Um, the Hawassi's not quite as bad as the Okoye. I did mean Okoye, though. You're right. Um, they they picture like going down the regular old river as that. That's just not what it is. And also on the motorcycle, like, I wish you wouldn't ride that motorcycle. Like It's like, well, you're right, but I do my best to mitigate the the, the dangers. Like I, I don't like riding in town because people do try to actively kill you. I say that jokingly, but good grief. And I just ride out in the country. I don't, you know, I listen to all the safety things when I took all the courses and you know, I do all the things that you can do. I don't ride it in the rain. Um, you know, but I'm not going to, I want to do something that I one time. enjoy. <laughs> yeah, there was that one time that I had to get that bike that day. So here I am. <laughs> First time I ever bought a powerful cruiser. Uh, he went with me and it came a downpour on the interstate. Ooh, and I was in a car, yeah. which made me very fearful, but yeah. I was driving your car, which I had never driven before, so that was part of that. And it was yep. really hard to see. Lots yep. of standing water. Mm-hmm. It was rough. And on the bike, it didn't seem like that because you don't have a windshield getting... Uh, Trap all the water. Getting, yeah, and like it was, I was just... I mean, it seemed like it was raining for sure, but I was more like, this rain sucks. I want to get home. This rain sucks. I want to get home. I looked down, do a 90 in the rain. It's like, hey, that's probably a bad idea. Mm-hmm. Ended up stopping halfway at the in-laws, but still. Yep. So I, you try to do things, you know... You can say, oh, that's dangerous. I'm never going to do it. And I mean, hell, everything that can happen can be dangerous. Getting in a car can be dangerous. You know, that's probably the most dangerous thing we all do every day based on statistics. That doesn't mean I don't think you should. Like, I don't want people to say, see, they have that phobia of driving. Like, you get out, got to get out and live. Um, but, you know, people can't control irrational fears. But I think there are pathways to help people. Definitely doing nothing is just going to make it worse. It's not going to not make it not only is it not going to not help it's going to make it worse trying to figure out your fears and it, just, it depends to a degree what fear we're talking about if you are literally petrified of snakes 
I don't know that you really have to seek out treatment and get desensitized to that. If you're in a state, yeah. home, neighborhood or whatever, where your chances or odds are or history of exposure to them is very minimal. I mean, I've lived in this house now 16 years and I can say I have seen a snake on my property twice, maybe three times in 16 years. I don't know if I've ever seen one here. So, you know, I, that being said, like, I don't know that you just, you know, don't go to the reptile house when you go to the zoo. And and I don't know that a person would be paralyzed from living by being afraid of snakes based on where we live. Now that might be different based on different places of living and wherever in the world or the country. But if you have a fear of crowds, for example, which I think a tremendous amount of people, because of the time of day, you and I both work most of the time. We see people and interact with people at the atypical times of day and, and conversations I've had with them over years has been to do with either the fear of crowds or the disgust with crowds. Either way, it's some sort of negative about being around large groups of people. And I think a, a huge amount of people suffer from that to some varying degree or another. I don't like being stuck in traffic jams, so I could see how people could be have a phobia about being stuck in traffic um, and not be able to get out. Like I've been stuck in traffic jams for hours and hours and hours before. And if I would have had a vehicle that could have drove through the median and uh, through a fence, I would have done it. I was so angry how long I sat in traffic before. Um, but uh, I mean, I could see how that could affect people. But could you imagine, I mean, I don't want to make this last forever, but could you imagine, like I couldn't imagine my life if I had a fear of dogs. Like I love dogs so much. I want to pet all the dogs and hold all the dogs and own all the dogs. I can't imagine somebody who's scared of dogs. Well, you know how we feel about dogs because we have what was one of your dogs. So yep. that is the basis here. I don't know. Man, we probably touched on it at some point in time, but I I never grew up with a fear of dogs because of having one. I think we got, well, my parents had one when I was baby up into the toddler years. And he was kind of mean. He was a chihuahua, but you know how they are. They and are. then there was a little bit of time. And then they bought what would be my, my sister's first dog. I think I was in a second grade. A lot of stuff happened around that second grade life. And and she lived until I went to college. So was around dogs for a long time. I had an additional dog that I would use hunting. And at some point in the college years, so I would have been 19 to 22, I was bitten by a German Shepherd, not a stranger, my neighbor across the street's dog. And that caused me to be hesitant and or have a little bit of reserve fear, none of which that you could see on the surface. But I definitely looked at dogs in a way that I never had looked at them before. And I still have that sort of wisdom from that now and have gone through that and having uh, rode thousands and thousands of miles on a bicycle and every dog, including my own, all dogs hate bicycles. I don't know why. I think the round legs confuse them or something, but want to get you. I have been attacked by numerous dogs on bike, which most of the time you're going to outmove them and that's going to be fine and dandy. And there's been a couple of times where that didn't happen. I have yet to have the skin broken other than that time by the neighbor's German shepherd. And I mean, that was a pretty severe bite. It was a neighbor's dog. It was immunized. So I didn't have anything other than puncture wounds from it, but, um, it left its scarring effect physically and mentally to, uh, I'm very aware of it. And maybe being the animal lover that would have never said, Oh, I'll do this or do that. Oh, I've, I would have no problem 
killing a dog that was attacking me or someone oh, else. Me neither. Whereas I wouldn't before, want I would have been it, like, Ugh, I hate to have to do this. No, it's not like I want to do it, but it's right. literally a neutral move. Like, yeah. uh, this is what's got to be done because, you know, unfortunately, it's the owner, which is usually the problem. Yeah, but I don't want sure. myself to be harmed or a kid or whatever because of X, Y, Z. Especially if it's a repeat offender. Like, we right. had a neighbor dog that was always, and dogs are meaner, like, to kids, too, than adults. I think it's just an animal in them. And their was, face is in their face. I think it's part yep. of that. And I was voice. I was drug around repeatedly multiple times by a Doberman when I was like in kindergarten, six years, seven years old um, by this Doberman. It was actually um, our dog. It was uh, uh, his name was Bo. He was a big, uh, um, I just said a Doberman and mm -hmm. he would drag me around like he never hurt me, but he grabbed me by the pant leg. Oh, yeah. He just dragged me through the yard, you know, and he would never hurt anybody else. But it scared me. And I was always scared of that dog. Like I wouldn't want to go over to my grandma's. It was in that same condominium complex I was talking about earlier if he was out. And finally, they had to start putting him up because it got to where he would just drag me around all the time. And but I never grew up having a fear of dogs because of that. It did give me a healthy respect for bigger animals. Um, but yeah, I mean, my also my neighbors growing up. Had a, had a Great Dane that was huge, and he would always jump on my sister, and I was always kind of afraid he might do something, but he never did nothing to me, but I always had a baseball bat just in case he was come near. <laughs> and I was a dog lover, and there was one time he was jumping on my sister, and I did whack that dog with the bat, and he went off running, and it probably hurt him. It could have even damaged his hip, but I mean, you shouldn't have a an animal like that loose when they're little kids. Even though the animal's not being vicious, it can hurt them accidentally. For sure. So, and I don't like free roaming dogs now, and I'm a dog lover, and I do want to pet all the dogs that walk through my yard. But at the same time, they make my dog go crazy in his fence, like because I have it according to law, I have him in a fence or on a leash because of those reasons. Right. And it's safe for the dog, it's safe for the people. Yeah, I don't, I don't care at all for the free roaming dogs, and I hate rules and law and being that kind of guy. But he, he, I mean, unless you live on an island. So there's not going to be a jogger passerby or a motorcycle guy or a bicycle guy. Yeah, if you live on an island, literally, fine. Let your dogs of any shape and size and any niceness just roam free. But the rest of the time, you got to realize you're part of the world. Yeah. And whether you like it or not, that dog is an extension of you. And it, that dog's chasing a guy who's riding his bike or his motorcycle or taking a walk with his kids that's that's you're responsible for that and you're responsible if the dog dies because of that and remember what was it within the last couple of years it's actually changed my running path i have yet to that's run that crap. way because of this one yeah. uh, nice neighborhooded area with a, a wooden fence at the back of all the lots which that borders the edge of the road and i've ran that way just literally hundreds of times and I noticed that there's a gap in that. And I would hear dogs barking this real deep bark, but never heard a dog coming toward me or saw evidence of it. So I thought, you know, they're chained up or in some kind of electric fence or whatever. Well, there was one day and I would always look that way. And I saw the gap, heard the deep barking and it sounded like it was changing. And then I saw a German shepherd shoot through the hole. And then I saw a second German shepherd shoot through the hole. I'm like, oh, no. Oh, and I'm, I'm, Two of just, them? yes, I'm out in the middle of the road and they're coming at me at full speed, teeth showing. This is not like a tail wagging tongue out. Oh, come pat us. No, no, this is, I want to take you down. 
and I am backpedaling because I don't want to lose. I want to keep looking at them and I carry pepper spray when I run just in case this happens, but I don't know what you're going to do with two dogs. You're going to get one, but the other's going to get you. And yeah. luckily to my peripheral vision left, a guy in an SUV saw this happening and exceeded the normal speed to this particular area and kind of revved his car even to come up. He wasn't going to hit me, but he was, cause I was in the middle of the road trying to stay away from these guys. He put himself basically between me and them. And then, uh, they, they ran back to, I think the car scared them or maybe my yelling really loudly scared them in combination, but they went on. Had he not been there, something would have happened. I would have yeah. at least tripped and fallen had they not mauled yeah. me or whatever they were going to do. Not to mention how terrible you'd feel if you did have to put a dog down, because I'm always armed, and I, it would be the last thing I'd want to do <clears throat> to shoot a dog, because I love all the dogs, and I would feel terrible for it, even if I knew it was, you know, legitimate or whatever the word is. Like I, I had, you know, it was what I needed to do, because um, I don't want to get mauled to death. Although I do prescribe to the idea that I could beat up any single dog. I don't care what kind it is. I could take Two. a dog. Two's One. the problem. Yeah, two dogs, that's going to be tough. Yeah. You'll be definitely hurt really bad. If they do get you in the right spot, you could die from a dog attack. So, yeah, keep your dogs on a leash. Come on now. And this is coming from people who love dogs. Imagine people who don't. or who, Because I know sickos out there who actively, yeah, did, either care less or actively don't like animals. I don't, you know, those people probably should be eliminated from the earth. But <laughs> that's how they're going to... Um, Treat an animal. People who are mean to animals for no reason, something's wrong with them. Uh, in the same vein, the people who own animals that foster negativity yeah. within the animals, I yeah, think, are on the same plane. You you may be an animal hater or someone who wants to have a quote mean dog or a fight fighting dog or something. I I got no use for that. That's ridiculous. None. Yeah. I see these billboards PETA puts up, and it's got it's got all the. Uh, animals up there and it's like uh, i saw a funny meme it's like where do you draw the line like one end has a cow and then like a pig and then like a chicken and then like then it starts in on pets you know it's like what's the difference where do you draw the line well somebody made a meme of it and they drew a line right between like the chicken and a cat it's like oh, about right here <laughs> <coughs> clearly not so, a cat lover no the cat was or the one who enjoyed chicken i guess yeah they eat the chickens and they didn't eat the pets so Anyway. That's that's a talk for another time. Animals yeah. in general, and yeah, and people, the, some uh, people are just afraid of all animals. And I just, I guess, I like all the animals too. Like, I, that's something I need to go do. I haven't been to the zoo in forever. I need to go yeah. do that. It's a fun place. Yeah. One of the place with a little bit of fear. Well, I'm afraid my uh, equipment may, may explode. Yeah, if uh, let it get any hotter, <laughs> need a fan on it in here. Can't have well, a fan on though because I like sound quality. I would say. Uh, my take home message would be if you don't know what your fear is, I can't imagine how you wouldn't, but explore that idea of what bothers you. You know, there may be a fear buried somewhere deep inside that. Um, everybody has probably a, to some degree, a little bit of a fear of, uh, failure or feel fear of that public speaking part. If you have opportunities to do that, not only does it make you better at that, but I think it makes it uh, better to handle uncomfortable stuff in general because that mm -hmm. at least is uncomfortable for most people, if not fearful. And it may be like you have the ability to stand up for yourself when you otherwise wouldn't have. Yeah, because it gets hard to speak as that fight, flight, or freeze kicks in. Your brain kind of shuts down and your mouth may shut down as well. Mm -hmm. Well, don't be afraid to uh, listen to this podcast through its uh, ending because it's going to be a long one.
That's right. Maybe we should put that at the beginning. <laughs> All right. Well, I'm going to get on out of here. Good talking as usual. All right. Take care. Yep. Seen a bunch of run-down no-horse towns Where the church is the backbone, loves and the bow And the five-string melodies groovy